catch everybody by surprise. All right, let's see. Um, before I uh, speak, uh, Robert or Bob would like to come and uh, share a t- of testimony this morning. So I'll let you do that. You can use the deal there if you want to set your Bible on. And it is on. All right. Okay, hi, I'm Robert. Uh, my family joined the church last week, and I'm a Christian. But, you know, that's not really... Christian means, you know, being completely dependent on God. And so one I wanted to speak today about is hearing God and heeding God. Yeah, you know, hearing God is, you know, when he tells you to do something, to like, you know, do it. Like he told John when he was having, when he was trying to marry, marry Mary. And so he was scared because he was afraid because people, Mary was already pregnant and, you know, it looked weird. And so he didn't want to be caught in the middle of that. And so he was afraid. And so that night when they, when he had the dream, you know, that was God speaking to him. And in God speaking to him and him, and him following God, you know, that spun into Jesus being born and saving us. And so by hearing God and by listening to God and by being, you know, completely dependent on God, you can, like, unravel all this stuff in the future for him that he has for you. And so it's just that thought that was really cool. And, you know, why I'm up here right now is because I felt, you know, called by God to tell you guys this. And so just wanted to tell you guys that if you'll hear God, if you'll heed him, and if you'll listen to him, and if you'll be dependent on him, then, you know, things will start to unravel for you guys. That's true. That's true. We listen, but we, we follow through. We are obedient to God's word, and that's where, uh, that's where uh, yeah, things begin to change for us. Amen? Okay. Well, I wanted to talk to you today. I just, this is a bit of a carryover from the marriage stuff that I was talking about, but um, this one's it's kind of a standalone sermon uh, uh, this morning, and uh, uh, I don't know. I really like to preach on this kind of stuff right here because I always want to um, set for you, for when you leave Sunday mornings, I always want you to remember that Christ is supreme Amen. He is what you're looking for. He is the answer to your longing. Um, it is him that you're looking for. And we, we don't maybe spend enough time really thinking about what we're really looking or longing or seeking or hungry or thirsty for. Uh, but if we did, the answer would be you're looking for the Lord Jesus Christ. Matt Chandler um, likes to say something I've, I've picked up from. He says, I'm afraid for you that you're never going to be wealthy enough to know that wealth is not the answer. I'm afraid that you're never going to gain enough wealth. I'm, I'm a, or, and let me put it in another couple of ways. I'm afraid that you're never going to be uh, happy enough or, or content enough in your marriage to know that marriage is not the answer that you've been looking for. I, I'm, I'm afraid that you're never going to be successful enough at your job to know success or prestige is not really what you were looking for. Um, and uh, um, anyway, on and on. But really, truly... Um, uh, something that uh, that C.S. Lewis wrote. If and I, you know, I I wrote it into the the sermon today, and then I took it out, and I wish I hadn't. But he says, "What um, if my heart?" What, uh, somebody help me. That thank you. If nothing in this world satisfies me, then I can only conclude. That, okay, Janae, here, let me get you a mic. That I'm not made for this world. Yes, yeah, see, that's why I I wrote it down because I I would otherwise you know botch it. Uh, yeah, if. 
If nothing in this world can satisfy me, then I can only conclude that I was made for a different world. Is that close? Oh, yeah, fairly. It's a loose paraphrase of C.S. Lewis. All right. But, yeah, but, but very true. Um, there is a reason that we go looking for other things. There, there, there is a reason. Um, and I, I want to point you back to the Old Testament. Boy, the Israelites had some troubles with idols. Can, is that true? Um, uh, you know, for generations, for hundreds of years, generation after generation after generation, they had trouble worshiping idols, even though God told them, what, rule number one, I am your only God. That's right. Uh, but they still worship idols. But can I tell you this morning, they didn't worship idols because, you know, a hunk of wood was so attractive, you know, or that a little piece of, of uh, stone or something that they had carved out and say, wow, that's really neat. I think I'll start worshiping that today. The reason that they started worshiping those things is those idols represented a, some supposed spiritual being who supposedly had spiritual power or authority over something, right? They worshiped gods for a reason. They worshiped Baal because he was the Lord, supposedly, little L. He was supposedly the Lord of the, Canaanite, uh, of the Canaanites, and he had power, specifically in power and authority. Uh, I'm sorry, I said that wrong. In power and fertility. They worshiped guards of fertility. They worshiped, uh, you know, they made, you know, the reason that they made, you remember when Moses comes down off the mountain and they made an image of gold and they made it look like a what? Then the reason was, was the, the, the bull was in, in Canaanite religion and also in the Egyptian re religion, the bull was a, a, a symbol of power and was a symbol of fertility. And that's why they carved an image. And they were going to worship that image saying, look, the God that we worship, um, we've made this calf to honor him and, and he will be a symbol or an idol of, of our worship of him. And uh, Moses went berserk and should have, you know, very, very much so. But, but the reasons that they worshiped him is because they had a need. And they thought it could be met. It was, they thought it was met by these idols that they learned from the people around them. And they had trouble. They had trouble a lot with, a, with, an, with an idol named Baal, right? Uh, but that wasn't the only one. There were some that were even more detestable than Baal. There was Molech, right, who was, uh, I'd like to spit every time I say his name. Um, in the practice of worshiping Molech, they would uh, pass their children through the fire to Molech. In other words, they would burn their own children in worship of Molech detestable, um, absolutely, I can't say a strong enough word, abominable to God uh, were some of the worship of these things. But, but again, I want to tell you this morning, they worshiped these gods for reason. They had a need, and they were looking for those idols to fulfill their need. Okay? Now, a couple or 3,000 years later, you and I have problems with idols. I don't mean people outside the church. I'm not talking about non-Christians, although they have them too. I'm talking about you and I have problems with idols. We have needs that we think we can, be, can be fulfilled in other things, in other ways, right? And everything that you bring in that is not God to fulfill that deep longing, that, that, that hunger and thirst that you and I are, are looking to have fulfilled, the Bible's very clear about this. These things are called idols. Yes, yes. We still have idol worship. We're just much more advanced than they were in those days. We don't, we don't carve out some physical thing to worship and say, this is a representation of the spirit thing that I worship. Um, but uh, today we even, even have worship. John Calvin said this. He said, every one of us is, even from his mother's womb, a master craftsman of idols. Isn't that fascinating? This isn't some new idea that I just discovered, right? This idea that, that people, humankind, has a problem with idols is written all throughout all of the scripture and has been known by Christendom for, you know, a couple of thousand years. People have problems with idols because we're always going to other places to have a really a legitimate need fulfilled and we're looking for it in anywhere but God, 
right? It's that, what's that guy's name? Jack Lee something? John Lee? El, no, no, no. Uh, the looking for love in all the wrong places. Yes. Johnny Lee. Yes, thank you. I had no idea. The clay had to teach me that. Uh, Johnny Lee. Uh, yeah, looking for love in all the wrong places. Okay. Anyway, but here's the thing. If you're going to have an idol in your life, there's not a better one than to be had than if a man in, 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 for a woman. And if you're a woman, to be looking for a man to fulfill those needs in you. True? I mean, humankind is, we really are the pinnacle of creation. It wasn't until right after he had created man and woman that God said, bon, bon, this is very good, what I've created. We are the pinnacle of his creation. And um, I tell you, someone who is made in the image of God is a very attractive idol. True? Um, and uh, uh, yet make lousy gods. But anyway, we're going to continue that in just a moment. But let me tell you, let me just tell you uh, just really quickly, in, in our culture, we have this idea that, that if the right man finds the right woman, right, then they'll always be in love, they'll never have any trouble, and, and the man will always feel significant, and the woman will always feel secure if you just find that right person, then, you know, your life is going to be content and you're going to be happy and you're going to be fulfilled and you're gonna, they're going to find perfect uh, satisfaction in each other. Well, the truth is, is that, man, that ain't right, right? I mean, um, I know that a lot of you ladies are looking at your husbands and say, well, no, apparently not, right? <laughs> right? And maybe men too, to their wives. But anyway, um, but there is the, that is this idea out in the world, well, if I just find my soulmate, if I just find the one that I'll be perfectly happy and perfectly fulfilled, if I just find it in that one person, that one person who's supposed to be mine and I'm supposed to be his. And there is this idea uh, between a man and a woman that uh, when, they're, when they decide that they'd like to get married or spend their, 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 their lives together, there's this idea that uh, I'll save you and, and you can save me. Um, there's a song by really, a really good secular group called Coldplay. Anyone ever heard of Coldplay? Yeah, you have. You know you have. Okay, um, and it's called Fix You. I was listening. My children, my kids were listening to it the other day. Um, anyway, let me, let me read to you some of the ver- one of the verses here. High up above or down below, when you're too in love to let it go, but if you never try, you'll never know just what you're worth. Did you hear that? You'll never know what you're worth unless you try to find it in a love that you can't let go. Yeah? Is that Christian where we're supposed to find our worth in the eyes of man and in the eyes of a woman? Is that where you're supposed to find your worth? Ladies, in the eyes of a man, is that where you're supposed to find your worth? No. Lights will guide you home and ignite your bones, and I will try to fix you. Listen, the sentiment is beautiful. I, I love the sentiment. But the truth is, a man, ladies, will not be able to fix you. A, a woman, men, will not be able to fix you, right? And the idea that I could fix uh, my wife or my wife could fix me is an idea of idolatry, really, honestly, right? There is only one Savior. There is only one who can fix us. There is only one who can bring healing to our hearts. And as, listen, we are all very desperate to find someone who makes us feel significant, that makes us feel important, that makes us feel worthwhile. But I'm telling you, if you try to squeeze that out of a man or a woman, you're never going to be satisfied. It's never going to work. And you know why? Because God will never allow that to work. He is the one who desires to be our healer, our fixer, our helper, and our savior. Right? Okay. Um, 
course, we all know the problem. The problem we were, is that we were all created with a void. We were all created with a big hole in our hearts. And um, I'll just read you. You've heard about Blaise Pascal's. Um, uh, this is where that all, this idea all came from. Uh, probably while he was reading uh, Confessions, uh, which is the uh, diary of uh, St. Augustine. Um, but anyway, he, he writes this. What else does this craving and helplessness proclaim but that there was once in man a true happiness of which all that now remains is an empty print and trace? This he tries in vain to fill with everything around him, seeking in things that are not there to help he cannot find in those that are, though none can help, since this infinite abyss can only be filled with an infinite and immutable object, in other words, by God himself. Pretty impressive for a mathematician, isn't it? Yeah, and philosopher. But anyway, so yeah, here we go. There is only one who can heal us, fill us, and make us whole. And therefore, there is only one who is worthy of our worship. Amen? And here's the deal. Um, let me just make this real simple for us. We all walk around with big holes in our lives, and we don't spend a lot of time thinking about it, and we don't spend a lot of time listening to it or reflecting on it but it causes us to act and to react in ways that, we, that, that is at the very heart of, of the motivation as to why we do things, right? Um, but but the, the, the honest truth is, is that there's only one who can fill that emptiness in you, and it is the Lord Jesus Christ, amen? There is only one who can heal you. There is only one who can fill you. There is only one who can fully satisfy you, and it is the Lord Jesus Christ. Anything else you try to put in this place will be lost in the abyss because the hole is too large. It is too great for any one of us to be able to fulfill. Amen? It's true. Um, I want to read to you something that Jonah said. Jonah, while he was in the big fish, uh, just before he was going to be spit out, he said something that is absolutely profound, and maybe the theme of the whole Bible is found there when he was inside the fish. It's pretty clear thinking for a guy that's in a whale, in my opinion. But uh, anyway, he said this in Jonah chapter 2, verse 9, the last part of that, of that verse. He says, salvation comes from the Lord, right? Now, l let me tell you, there's, there's a lot of things that, that we could take from this, but let me, let me give you some, some answers to the questions here that this causes. The first is that salvation of mankind was, man, was God's idea, right? He, he created us and we fell, and he said, I'm going to, I already have the answer for you. I already know what is going to fulfill and satisfy you, and I'm already, I'm, the plan is already underway to make it happen. And it, salvation was his idea. I've already made a way to fulfill what is missing in you. Yeah? That great void in you, I'm already making the plan. I have already know the way that I'm going to bring salvation to your souls, to fill the emptiness in you, to bring in you what you could not bring in yourself and no one else could bring for you. Uh, the other thing is this, is that that place, that idea of salvation is only done by God. Salvation comes from the Lord, no one else. No one else can save you. No one, and, and boy, you know, have you ever done, uh, okay, uh, okay. Has anyone ever done a, a little word search through your scriptures about salvation? Man, it, it means everything. It means all kinds of different things. There were people who were praying for salvation, meaning rescue from their enemies. It was people who were at, praying for salvation, looking for uh, 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 the answer to the problem they were in, like, uh, like, like they've been, they've been caught in some sin and God was about to bring justice and they pled out for salvation instead, right? 
um, and over and over again. Anyway, if you start to read about what the word salvation means, it, it, means, uh, it means a lot of things. It means a, the whole person. It means everything that we need rescue from uh, is what salvation means. And God says, salvation, that which you're looking for, is from me. Right? Really profound stuff. Um, I've kind of done this backwards, but then in verse um, 2, of, uh, of uh, Jonah chapter, or sorry, chapter 2, verse 8, just above, just before chapter, sorry, just before verse 9. I'll get in a minute. He says this other profound thing. Those who cling to worthless, worthless <laughs> look, I'm just going to sit down. Worthless idols forfeit the grace that could be theirs. Let me tell you this. If you are going to look for salvation in someone else, let me put it to you this way. There's always a price to be paid. Yeah. It will never work. There's always a price to be paid. And, and let, me picture, let me help you picture it like this. On this side, you have God who says, salvation is for me. You come to me, and I will fill you. I will fulfill you. I will fill the emptiness in you. I will satisfy you. On the other hand, there's all these other things that look like to you and me, they might help us. They might fulfill the emptiness inside of us. They might help us feel significant. They might make us feel loved. They might make us feel important. They might make us feel secure. And you and I go chase after these things and... And Jonah says, if you chase these things, you're forfeiting that grace. You're giving it up. You're saying, I could have had God, but instead I went and chased these things. And can I tell you this about God? He will allow you oftentimes to go pursue that and come to the end of yourself and come to the end of those things. He, he said that through the prophet Hosea. He said, I'm going to allow you, I'm gonna allow, and he, he compares Israel to a woman. He said, I'm going to allow you to wander off in the desert in pursuit of these things. But in the end, you're going to end up alone and naked. And all these other people that you have that, are, that, are, that you're pursuing, all these other false gods, all these other idols, they're going to fall away and you're going to find yourself alone and naked in the desert. And then he says something amazing. And then I'm going to come to you. I'm going to woo you. And you're no longer going to call me. Uh, you're, you're no longer going to call out my Lord. And the word there is very interesting in uh, Hosea chapter 2, about verse, uh, what, 14 or something, maybe 6, I can't remember. But he says, you'll never, you'll, you'll never again call me Baal I. You'll refer to me as Ishi, meaning my man or my husband. Isn't that a beautiful picture? Jose, using a little word play, saying that you're going to leave your Baals behind and you're going to come to know Jehovah, the Lord God, as my man or my husband. He says, that's what it's going to be like, but I'm going to allow you. Here's the incredible picture, though. He says, I'm going to allow you to run out in the wilderness and in the desert until you find yourself alone and naked. Then I'm going to call you to myself. I'm going to allow you to come to me and I will be your husband. Isn't that a beautiful picture? But here's the deal. God often allows us to run and to chase after that, that thing until we come to the end of ourselves and find, this is not apparently what I was looking for. I thought I could find satisfaction, fulfillment. I could find a, a, a cure for, for my, a, a healing to my wounds, a, 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 a healing for this void. He says, I'll allow you to come to an end of yourself oftentimes. And then once you do, you turn around. He says, come. Now, I, I will be the one that you've been looking for. We've got to jump into the, the big part of, our, uh, of the verse this morning, which is going to be in John chapter 4. We're going to read this really quickly, but it's going to be a very large passage, so be, be patient with me. We'll read it really quickly. Um, if it weren't enough that uh, Jesus said this so many times or it's in the Scriptures so many times, it is played out in beautiful form here in John chapter 4 of exactly what we're talking about. And in John chapter 4, we're going to pick up in verse 7. 
And let me tell you just really quickly, Jesus has come. They've been walking all day. They stop in a town in, in Samaria, and they stop by a well. We've got a picture of it back there in the back. And um, you all know the story. Oh, a Samaritan woman comes. When does she come? The middle of the day. Who came in the middle of the day? Come on, you've heard this sermon a thousand times. Nobody. Nobody came in the middle of the day. Why would you come in the middle of the day? You got your water in the first thing in the morning, right? Why would you come in the middle of the day? Because you didn't want to be seen by anyone else. She was an outcast because of her life, and she lived a sinful life, and she was an outcast to her own people, and uh, she was hiding from them. But anyway, um, in chapter 4, verse 7 of John, it says, When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks for you for a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, You have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our, ja our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and flocks and herds? Jesus answered, Everyone who drinks, the who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give him will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Okay, let me tell you what's just happened. They're talking about water, and the woman is thirsty, right? This is like a parable. This is a casting alongside of a, a physical known truth and Jesus drawing a a spiritual parallel to say what you see here, what you experience here is what I'm telling you is a spiritual truth. If you come to me for water, the water I give you, you'll never thirst again. But if you keep coming to this well, you'll be thirsty again. Does it sound anything remotely like what we've been talking like about? Yeah, it's exactly it, isn't it? She comes thirsty. He says, you'll never thirst again if you'll drink the water that I give him. And then Verse 15, the woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. Now here, the story takes an incredible turn. And if you don't know what's going on in the passage, it's just like, where did this come from? Jesus is trying to draw a, a spiritual parallel, physical parallel with what's happening in the woman's life spiritually. He told her, go back and call your husband. And, I'm sorry, go call your husband and come back. Why, what does her husband have anything to do with it? Okay, Jesus just said, you keep coming to the well and you end up thirsty. If you would give drink from the water I give you, you'll never thirst again. Go get your husband. I have no husband, she replied in verse 17. Jesus said to her, you are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is you have had five husbands and the man you have now is not your husband. What you have said, just said, is quite true. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that there is a place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Jesus declared, believe me, woman, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship, you in spirit, must worship in spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know that the Messiah called Christ is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Jesus declared, I who speak to you am he. 
All right. Now, we're not going to get to the, the latter part of the story, but anyway, his disciples come back, and what happens is the woman goes back to her town, and a lot of the people in this town in Samaria come to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ because she says to them, he's told me everything I've ever done. But don't miss the parallel. She comes thirsty, comes to the well, keeps coming to the well day after day after day. Jesus says, it's like your relationship with your husband and men in general. Man after man after man, you've been looking for what you cannot find because you're thirsty for something that can't be found in a man. You come to me and I will give you water and you'll never thirst again. Let me tell you, the positive side of the story is, Jesus says, you're thirsty for something and I'm it. I can fulfill you. I can give you what you've been thirsting for, that thing that drives you to, to come from one man to the next, to the next, and to the next, that hole that you're trying to fill, that, that satisfaction or that fulfillment or, or, or whatever it is, that emptiness or loneliness in your heart. I can fulfill. You come to me and I'll drink, I'll give you water and you will never thirst again. You know why? Because salvation is from the Lord. It's not from anyone else. No one else can save you. No one else can heal you. No one else can fix you. No one else can make you feel fully secure. No one else can make you feel fully loved. No one else can make you feel significant. No one else can make you feel fully whole. No one. There is only one who can do all of those things, and it is the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. Yeah, John 4.14 4, there, part two. Whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Let me close from something we've already read in Matthew, if you're keeping up, reading through Matthew every day during the month of February. But in Matthew chapter 11, Jesus said this, verse 28. Come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Isn't that a beautiful thing? It says, come to me when you're thirsty. You know, and let me close by saying this. Um, Jesus never says, what is wrong with you, woman, that you keep burning through men like this? What is wrong that you are so needy? He never gets on to her. He never judges her. He never reproves her and says, stop being so needy. He never says that, does he? He says, you bring that mead and you'll find no matter how big it is, it will be met fully in me. Come to me, all who are thirsty. Yeah, that's a beautiful thing. Would you bow your heads and let's pray and we'll be dismissed. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord God, that everything that we're looking for in every measure, no matter how deep and how desperate our hearts are, no matter how desperate we are for healing, or some feeling of significance or importance, no matter how desperately we need security, Lord God, we can find it in you because salvation is from you. We thank you, Lord God, that you've already given the answer, that you prepared it uh, uh, before the world began. You already knew that you were going to meet the needs of mankind through your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. So, Father, I pray that you'd help us uh, help us to tear down idols that we've built in our lives. Help us to, to, and to go looking um, in, in, uh, for you instead of looking in, in the face of a man or a woman for, for some healing or something that we can't squeeze out of them. Father, instead, I pray that you would help us uh, to look to you. 
Open our eyes, Lord God, that we might see that you are enough, that you are the God who is enough for us, that in, in every circumstance and everything that we need, uh, that you are the one that we look to. Father, I pray that your, uh, your name would be exalted in us because, uh, Lord, it's not that you begrudgingly satisfy us or you begrudgingly fill us, but, Lord, you delight in it. You desire it. You say, you come. You come and you'll be filled. You come and you'll never thirst again and, and you delight in filling us and, fu- and fulfilling those needs in us. And, Lord God, we're so grateful to find a God who's so gracious to us, who never questions our need, but only says, you're looking in the wrong places. You come and you be filled in me. We thank you for your grace for us. We thank you, Lord, that you allow us to run to the end of ourselves and we turn around and there you are saying, come, come. Father, we thank you. Lord, I pray for all of us here, Lord. We all have problems with idols. It's, 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 a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a part of humankind. It's part of our, of, our, of our human nature that we go looking any place else but for you uh, for, for fulfillment and satisfaction and salvation. Father, I pray, open our eyes that we might see you in all of your glory, you in all of your ability to fulfill our hunger and our thirst, to fill those, those broken and empty places in our souls. Open our eyes, Lord, we pray. It's in Jesus' great name we pray. Amen. 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 Thanks for being